Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and <clears throat> Company, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. It is Friday, and that means it's Dr. Judy Jasek Day. Dr. Judy Jasek, would you ever recommend kibble? I mean, for any reason? No, not any of them. And there are no good ones. You know, people say, is there, can you, can you tell me a good kibble? I'm like, there are none. It doesn't matter how much you pay for them or what's in them or whether it's sprouted or fermented or all the little gimmicks. It's it's still kibble and the adverse effects are the same in your pet. So just don't do it. Why Why is it that people promote kibble that has sprouted grains? You know, I think, this, I think this is just another like marketing ploy because it's different, you know, so people will hear, oh, well, you know, carbs are, you know, not good or, you know, they're, they're not supposed to be feeding, you know, um, I tell people high, avoid high glycemic ingredients, which kind of includes all the starchy type ingredients, whether it's your grains or your beans, peas, lentils, potatoes, all this stuff they put in for fillers. Well, if it's sprouted, it's, still a grain. It's just like basically started to grow. So to me, that would still be a starchy type ingredient, which I stir people away from. But then what is species appropriate about that? You know, these are dogs, not cows. Like, well, they only eat grain. If they're not, if it's not species appropriate to eat grain, why would it be species appropriate to eat sprouted grain? Like, it's not. I, to me, it's just a marketing gimmick. And then because like, you know, maybe there's not very many companies doing that, then they just charge a ton of money for something that's still not healthy for dogs. Right. We see that all the time where they, you know, the 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 truth is so skewed. And then we still have the thought in our heads that if it's more expensive, it must be better. That's why people call it a premium kibble. And I'm saying it's just that you're paying a lot of money for crappy kibble. Right. I, that, right. That's really prescription, prescription diets. Same thing. There's nothing prescription about a prescription diet. If you read the ingredients, they're pretty much the same as going down to the grocery store and buying a bag of Purina. So if you're going to feed something like that, you know, pay 40 bucks at the grocery store and not 80 bucks at your vet. Not that I recommend feeding kibble, but you know, why spend all that money on a, on a prescription diet? The only difference really is that only vets can sell them and they charge twice as much money for them. It's, it's such a racket. And those companies, they make just super cheap foods that are completely void nutritionally, they spend their money on the marketing and they do a lot of, you know, these are the, I used to, I used to tell people, I probably still would tell people, I don't watch TV much anymore. So I don't think about it, but I used to tell people don't buy anything you see, any food you see advertised on TV. 
because any company that's putting out these ads with these, you know, the golden retrievers running through the, you know, um, field of flowers or whatever, not got anything against goldens, but they tend to show up in a lot of ads. <laughs> so, so I want to ruffle anybody's flever, uh, feathers there. I love golden retrievers. Um, but they, they, they're creating this image in your mind that this is going to be your dog on their food. That's what they want you to believe. You're going to have this completely healthy dog and you're going to grow beautiful flowers when you feed this food. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's a marketing game and those ads are expensive. No, no reputable food company. And you know, this better than anybody, Didi, no reputable food company that's putting together really good products can pay for those expensive um, TV ads that are probably millions of dollars. You know, it's the companies making cheap foods. They're not putting any money into their foods. They're putting, spending all their money on their marketing and they're making a ton selling. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. Well, speaking of of grains, I want to talk about this email that we got in. Uh, somebody pushed the I'm overwhelmed button. And I see why this sweet pet parent is overwhelmed. Now, this is coming out of California. And uh, Simone has a five and a half year old pug. 27 pounds. The vet wants him to lose five pounds. Um, the issues right now, other than the biggest one that I'll tell you after this, but this is what they put on here, itching, allergies, ear infections, and he's overweight. Um, the, he, this dog has also had um, Apoquil, uh, vet prescribed medications, flea and tick, heartworm vaccinations, and crappy treats. Okay. Mm. Now, the other information that came in, because the question was, uh, my vet wants my dog to be on a grain-based diet. And I said, well, I'm not going to be able to help you with that. What is the issue? Here's the issue. This dog, this sweet dog's name is Potato. That's a cute name, isn't it? Potato. It's a little high in the glycemic index, but that's okay. It wouldn't be a ingredient I'd recommend, but it's a cute name for a dog. <laughs> So anyway, he was referred to the emergency hospital, actually, uh, for an abdominal ultrasound because he was vomiting blood. Now, that's mm -hmm. all we know, vomiting blood. We don't know if it was one day. We don't know if it was, we don't know how long it was. Um, but on the ultrasound, it showed signs of gallbladder disease and mucocosal, okay? And mucocosal is a thick, like mucus plug that can cause gallbladder distension, obstruction, and inflammation. Now I'm reading. I don't want you to think that I'm that smart, Dr. Jasek, that I just knew that. <laughs> I'm reading off of the emergency clinic's information. But anyway, they go on to say that, you know, patients that develop an obstruction may start to turn jaundice or yellow in color. And so they were saying that sweet potato might have to have his gallbladder surgically remo removed when his condition is more stable. Now, here's what they want to do, Dr. Jacek, to stabilize his condition. They want Sweet Potato to be on a low-fat prescription Hill Science diet, okay? And that's going to be uh, that or Royal Canaan gastrointestinal low-fat. Or they want to do the old traditional, make a homemade diet, boiled chicken and that cooked arsenic filled white rice. Okay. And they want uh, them to do these small frequent meals for the next few days and then gradually add in the regular diet. But, uh, but they do say potato is quite overweight. 
And so this dog is a little obese. Okay. And uh, so anyway, they say that, and, and they've got this sweet pup, Dr. Jasek, on these different medication, sulcrophate, serenia, clavamox, omeprazole, and gabapentin. That's a buttload of uh, uh, medications. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, they say it's coal, uh, colcitis and gallbladder mucosal. Yikes. Well, what is that? Sounds I mean, pretty, what, sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? It sounds scary, but is it scary? And, and really, w w if you read this, if you had somebody coming to you and you read this, where would you even start? Well, I, you know, I'd start where I always start, you know, we start cleaning up the routine. So what is the dog eating? What supplements is the dog on? You know, what's, what are the treats? We get them off of all these inflammatory ingredients. Cause I think, well, okay. So the dog was vomiting and they found an inflamed gallbladder with well, the dogs on a crappy diet and, you know, getting God knows how many vaccines, other preventatives, you know, all, all these things we talk about, we need to get the whole picture. And there's a lot of things in that routine that's inflaming the body. That is probably why they found a gallbladder problem and possibly why the dog was, you know, was vomiting in the first place. But I also don't necessarily draw a direct correlation between the vomiting and the gallbladder disease. I think the inflamed gallbladder, and even if there's, um, you know, they'll get the ultrasound reports, I'll say sludge or crystals or something in there that can potentially cause a blockage. Well, did that cause the vomiting? Like that could have been there like for years because the dog's on this really inflammatory diet and now the dog started vomiting. But is there a direct cause and effect there because dogs vomit all the time and could be vomiting because of the crappy diet or eat something outside. So I would, if I was working on this dog, I would clean up the routine. We get them on a fresh food diet. Um, you know, I'd be looking at lab work. You know, a lot of times cases like this, we'll see some elevated liver enzymes or something. So we'd be monitoring that. And I would, I would first and foremost, like address the vomiting issue, you know, support the digestion, get the diet straightened out, get them off any supplements that did not seem appropriate. And then the gallbladder may not even be an issue. Then maybe repeat the ultrasound in a few months, you know, as long as we get the dog stable. Now, if the dog keeps vomiting, that's different. If we can't get the dog feeling better with a diet change, which almost always we can, like by 95 plus percent of the time, we just need to get the dog on a better diet and they feel better and the body will clean up this uh, gallbladder problem. I've seen a lot of dogs with gallbladders removed that I really questioned whether or not that needed to be done. Now, this per dog, on top of the inflammation that's already present in his body, has been put on, you know, antibiotics, omeprazole, which is an acid blocker. So we're decreasing the acid production, making it impossible for the dog to properly digest its food. And I can't remember the other drugs it was on, but, but, but the, but the more pharmaceuticals this dog is on, the more its body is being damaged and this condition. Oh, and the prescription diet, of course, cause they got to do that. And, oh, and they have to have grain, right? Because dogs, <laughs> because you see wolf packs out there, you know, grazing in the cornfields. Like, no, they're killing the cows. That's the problem. They're not 
eating the farmer's corn, they're killing their cattle. And that's where, where wolf packs get into trouble. They don't usually get into trouble for overgrazing. Um, but so, so this dog is set up for like health failure because all the things they're doing to supposedly quote unquote treat this are just going to make this dog sicker. And then they're probably going to keep vomiting. It's going to keep having digestive issues. And they're going to say, yep, see, we told you this isn't getting better. We better get that gallbladder out. And most likely if we turn this dog's diet around, got a healthier routine, maybe did some herbs and some other things to help support proper digestion, it could turn this all around in this dog and it wouldn't need gallbladder surgery. And, you know, there's no going back from removing body parts and all the body parts have a reason, you know, they're, they're there for a reason. The gallbladder, its job is to store bile so that when a dog eats a high fat meal or pretty much any meal, meat-based meal, or, you know, I like to add in a little extra fat for some patients um, that that gallbladder can contract and they get this big burst of bile into the small intestine that helps them break down those ingredients. So without that, now you've compromised their digestion for the rest of their life. And there's no going back and there's no enzymes that are going to, you know, replicate what the bile does naturally in the body. So you got to be really careful about removing, you know, body parts because they have a reason. And every time you do surgery, you're, you're getting a scar tissue and you're going to have more, you know, consequences to that. I, I just, I, I just really, it baffles me that how veterinarians can go down this road and not see that everything they're doing is further damaging the pet. It's, it's very sad. Well, I did find out that uh, this dog is feeding origin a kibble, okay. but I but I want to call your attention to what this kibble is called. And this kibble in origin, uh, although it is their small breed, grain-free, dry dog food, they are calling this, Dr. Jasek, a whole prey diet. Oh, geez. On the back. Origin, uh, whole prey diet. And the picture. I would like for you guys to open a bag and see if you can find this picture. In the picture, it looks very much like what we would feed our pets, right? So it has a fish, it has actual raw meat, and it has berries and stuff like that. I don't think if I opened up that bag, Dr. Jasek, I would find anything like that picture. And I don't call uh, kibble a whole prey diet. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is uh, the thing that I think would alert you that this is a bunch of sphincter uh, news, a bunch of sphincter marketing right here. This is a bunch of CKS, okay? (laughs) Now, what they've done here on the back is they've listed some things that sound very good. Turkey, chicken, turkey giblets, liver, heart, gizzard, quail. Um, whole mackerel, chicken, liver, eggs, and then it goes into the dehydrated, and then it goes into the chicken fat, the navy beans, the um, the pumpkin, the buttered squash, the collard greens. I mean, mm-hmm. it's got everything in the sink. And then we go into our synthetics. Mm-hmm. And if you go over and you look at the guaranteed analysis, um, you're going to see that from them propping up the protein. 
they say there's 38% protein in here. There may be 38% protein. I seriously doubt that it is the animal protein. But just if I took their figures that I am certain are skewed, we're still coming out at 24% carbohydrates. And I, I would bet my left toe that that's way higher than that. Okay. So, and the vet is like, well, you got to have grains. Oh my gosh, we've got to have grains. You've got to get off this kibble and get on my prescription kibble. Yeah. Because I, I can't believe that grain propaganda is still holding weight. It was the most ridiculous thing. And that's been out there for years now. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard that dogs need grain. And it's usually for heart health, that dogs need grain to have a healthy heart based on what? Like there's nothing, absolutely nothing to back that up. There's this claim that, you know, I don't know when it was four or five years ago or something or longer. I don't know. I just track of time, but that, you know, dogs were getting an increased incidence of cardiomyopathy that were eating the, you know, quote unquote boutique diets where they lumped together grain-free kibbles, you know, any fresh food, lightly cooked, raw, all that, anything that didn't have grain in it was all lumped together. And they decided somehow that that was bad. And, you know, that dogs, because the dogs getting the cardiomyopathy were eating these non-grain diets, therefore dogs must need grain. They never proved a, a, a word of that. Um, it's never been proven. It's just all you know, pet food industry propaganda to sell these prescription diets. That's, that's all it is. There's no basis for it. And no, there's no veterinarian that could cite a study or anything that definitively proves that that's true, but sure thing. I mean, I hear it all the time. I have to, you know, talk people down from that concept um, all the time. Yeah. Well, I think Dr. Jacek, it comes from the fact that there is a monopoly. There is a monopoly of these veterinary hospitals. There is a monopoly of the medicine, the food. Okay. The two largest veterinary chains, Banfield and BCA. Well, Banfield is owned by Mars. Okay. And then mm -hmm. Mars purchased BCA. And that was done, I believe, back in 2015. But a monopoly, you guys, is a market containing a single firm that has close or total control of the sector, okay? Mm -hmm. And I was looking at this article coming out of the truth about pet food. And, you know, Mars <clears throat> owns Caesars, Yukonuba, Imes, um, Pedigree, Royal Canaan, Sheba, Temptations, Whiskas. They, they, they are a huge, huge company. And they own over 1,000, probably more now because we've seen in the past couple of years where they've been buying and buying and buying. They over, own over 1,000 Banfields and Blue Pearl veterinary yeah. clinics. And um, yeah, and they own the uh, VCAs. Now, here, here's the problem with this, Dr. Jacek, because they own all this, they can do whatever the heck they want. And they have this software inside of their clinics that's called Petware, okay, Petware. From Petware, this is what keeps them from actually thinking, 
because in petware, um, they're able to put in what the issue is, and then that guides the veterinarians through the process of diagnosing medical problems and prescribing care. Had you ever heard of petware? I, I had not, not until you mentioned it before we hopped on the podcast. I mean, I have heard of these type of programs on the human side, but I was not aware that there was a program like that on the veterinary side. But I tell you, it sure explains a lot why I see these pets with diagnoses that to me don't make any sense. And then the treatments don't make any sense either because the, um, because the diagnosis doesn't make any sense, such as, you know, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday and, and it was for like a, a second opinion on some blood work. Well, this dog had gone in for vomiting and had an elevated alkaline phosphatase, which is an enzyme that yes, does exist in the liver, but is also present in lots of other tissues in the body and will go up anytime the dog you know, is vomiting, you know, we'll see some changes in the blood work that could be due to the fact that the dog's vomiting for whatever reason. Well, they told these people that, you know, this dog had liver disease and, you know, um, they had to, you know, get them on a special diet for the liver and all of this stuff. Well, now if, if this kind of makes more sense, if the veterinarian went and plugged this value in this lab value into that, that algorithm or the software, and it came back with one of the differentials was liver disease, which I would say it could be a differential, but usually you have other elevations or other changes in the blood work. And then it's like, okay, these, you know, plug in, plug in this, like you said, don't even have to think plug in this lab value is elevated. I've got three dif differentials. Um, yeah, I think I'll call it liver disease. That sounds good. I'll do that. And then, okay, how do I treat liver disease? Oh, well, we do a, a liver diet and denimerin and, you know, all this stuff. And that's why, I mean, this, it makes total sense to me because I see pets come in with diagnosis. like, I like always started on the same treatment for a given diagnosis. And now it makes sense because this is why, because the vets, the corporate vets are all following these algorithms in this, um, this software. They're not looking at the patient. They're not treating them individually. They're probably not even taking a full history. They're just plugging some things in and it spits out a diagnosis. And when it spits out a diagnosis, it spits out a treatment plan. It's, it's awful. It's awful. I mean, it is just, I don't know, it's beyond negligent. It, you know, really is because pets are, pets are suffering because of this. Well, in this article, it says, here's an example provided from Petware. Uh, and it shows a checklist of therapies for a dog with atopic dermatitis or itchy skin, which we see all the time. Doctors are encouraged to recommend a biopsy, analgesics, topical medications, antibiotics, a therapeutic dietary supplement, an allergy diet, a flea control package, and they're required to recommend antihistamines, shampoos, serum allergy testing, lab work. Um, it's a treatment course that's going to run well over a thousand dollars. Okay. And it says in this article that you cannot change items that are marked required, that they must mm. remain required. So regardless of what the veterinarian says, 
uh, they cannot stray from the company treatment protocol. In this article, and I'm quoting, it says, they cannot think for themselves or provide treatment for a particular pet that should not follow corporate treatment protocols, such as the vaccination issue. And that is frightening, as you say. Totally. Because you know what? What do they have a doctor there for? Why not just have a machine? And I think that's where they're going with this. You're not even going to need, they're not even, there's going to be a point in time, they're not even going to be paying the veterinarians. They're going to say, we don't need veterinarians. All we need is our computer system. And somebody, you know, a client walks in the door, what's going on with dog? Itchy skin. They just put in itchy skin. Here's your protocols. Here's your treatment recommendations. I mean, if you don't need if, if their protocols don't need a human brain, what are they even going to pay a vet for? It'll, it's going to eliminate the, the people, everything. In the, they're moving this way in human medicine, too, where you can get, get an app on your phone and you put in your symptoms and then they tell you what you got and your treatments and, and you know, somebody would prescribe something for you. I mean, it's that I didn't realize this was this far along in veterinary medicine. And, and it is really terrifying. And it makes me more motivated to get my veterinary training program put together and start teaching another paradigm for to, to vets. Absolutely. And, and so let's give our listeners a comparison. How, how would you like it if McDonald's, because you know they want you to eat their food and then they own the laboratories and they own the software of which they were going to recommend the drugs. That's exactly what this is. Right. They're creating illness. And then they're, they're, they're creating illness from the foods. And then, oh, by the way, they just happen to have the treatments, according to them, for those illnesses. It's, it's a racket. And, you know, you were talking about the monopolies. Well, you know, the, the same companies that own the vet clinics own the food companies and, you know, the, the veterinarians are not given, not given any choice in what they do. They're not allowed to think for themselves. I mean, that's just, that is just so scary. Just so, so the, scary. There is a, there, there is a law that prevents corporations from owning medical clinics and hospitals. So no human food corporations can own medical clinics or hospitals. So why is it that the pet industry is provided a workaround? They can do it. Yeah. Okay? And, I'm, and I don't know the exact laws there. I mean, I know just in from my personal experience um, in clinic ownership, I know that a non-veterinarian, it varies by the state to my understanding, but that a non-veterinarian can like own a clinic, but the doctors are supposed to be making the medical decisions. I have no, I don't know how these big corporations are getting around this, but there's probably, I mean, it's probably like they've got veterinarians like hired or something that are running the, you know, supposedly running the clinic, which they're not. The clinics are being run by, you know, the the executives setting the budget and deciding how much money they need to make. That's really who's running the show, but they probably have like a, a district manager or something like that. That's a that's a veterinarian that is supposedly 
overseeing the clinics, but probably all they're doing is making sure that the veterinarians working in the clinics are following the corporate protocols, but technically they can say that there is a supervising veterinarian. That's, that's, that's my guess. I actually, many, many years ago, I did relief work at, I almost, I almost hate to admit this at a, at a PetSmart clinic. Um, cause I needed some extra money and I could work weekends and, and I kind of was curious, like, you know, check them out. And I, I think I was there like a month and I'm like, good Lord, this is messed up. And this was many years ago, but there, that's the way it was set up. There was like, um, just like any business, you know, you've got your, you know, your outlet and then you've got, a, you know, regional directors that have bigger and bigger, bigger territories. So you might have a director of, you know, 10 clinics and then, you know, maybe a, I don't know, county director, maybe a state director, something like that. And that's, that would be my suspicion that that's how they're getting around it. Oh yeah. Um, Absolutely. And it, listen, if you think, guys, that these corporate vet clinics allow their staff to independently think for themselves, then you don't know the story of Dr. John Robb. Now, Dr. John Robb owned a Banfield. He was the one that disagreed with the one-size-fits-all um, on the uh, vaccine, rabies vaccine, right? Mm. So he said that vaccines are the only pet medications that are not are not scaled to body weight so he said whether it's a 120 pound great dane or a, a three pound chihuahua like yours dr jasic he said one size fits all mm -hmm. right and when he tried to exercise that which he did for the health of his patients which is what i thought they were supposed to be doing they took his uh, clinic away from him. Actually, he says they stole it from him. Sure. Because he, I mean, I mean, again, I don't know how these systems are set up, but there was a point in time where like doctors would actually invest in the clinics and then, but they were still expected to, you know, run them by the corporate standards. So he probably had invested money in it and they probably just took it back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that this article says, you know, um, uh, basically pet owners be where, right? Because this is the protocol and you need somebody like Dr. Jason, who, who is not beholden to that, who can actually treat the individual pet. You don't need to put it into a computer that has never seen this pet, doesn't know anything about this pet, maybe doesn't know the narrative that's outside of this profit-driven machine, right? right? I mean, my goal is to set people up for success and we do a good diet and we stop poisoning pets with vaccines and other preventatives and pharmaceuticals that can be avoided. And I want to send people out the door and empower them to be able to keep their pets healthy on their own. And, you know, maybe we see them once a year for a checkup or something, but they're not in and out of here every month. Well, how do you think these, you know, corporate clinics make money is having pets coming in and out, you know, every month or a couple times a month and getting new prescriptions. So that, you know, so these diets and all these vaccines, you know, cause itchy skin, see it all the time, you know, it inflames the body and the dogs are trying to detox and they are, you know, they're itching like mad. So then they go back in and then what do they get? 
Epiquil or Cytopoint. And so now, and that helps, right? It does help. And then, but then it, once it wears off, the symptoms come back. So they just keep going back in. So they got a customer, they've, they've ruined the dog's immune system as a puppy. Now they have a customer for life for, you know, these immunosuppressive treatments to keep the symptoms under control. And then, you know, by the time it's four, pets four or five years old, it's probably going to be diagnosed with cancer. And then they can charge for treating that. So having patients come in all the time on a regular basis, that's how they make their money. And that's, it's sad to say, but this is set up to do exactly that, not keep pets healthy, keep pets coming in the door so they can make more money. First thing you guys got to do is this. You've got to get your dogs on a species appropriate diet. There's just no bones about it. And not a <laughs> kibble species appropriate diet. I, this is impossible. I don't care what the marketing says, guys. Species appropriate means meat, bones, organ, fat. You can have some tripe. You can have some veggies. Don't let the pretty pictures uh, I always say the pretty pictures and the tasty toxins uh, promote you to to do something that's not in the best health of your dog. And I also can't stress enough how important it is for someone like uh, the sweet uh, potatoes, pet parents, right? Potatoes, pet parents to reach out to a holistic vet, Dr. Judy Jasek, someone like Dr. Judy Jasek, who can look at that and say, hey, w- hang on a second. We don't necessarily need to put this dog under um, you know, surgery right now, right? Let's do some changes. Let me get some more information and see if we can't treat this in a, in a more sane manner. Right. 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 Absolutely. So go Absolutely. over to ahavet.com. Uh, talk to Dr. Judy Jasek, send her, uh, you know, the, the information. Don't just email it to her. You gotta get, you gotta get a, uh, uh, get on her schedule. Okay. Get your dog on a species appropriate diet. We ship all over the United States. We can help you. If you're overwhelmed, hit the overwhelm button. We will get back to you. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.